You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. with authors the podcast i'm your host erica lance my co-host today is the amazing cr rice and our guest today um oh wait i'm supposed to go through the other things i didn't bring my post-it with me i'm doing this from outside (laughs) it's okay so don't forget to like and subscribe our podcast we really appreciate it we're gonna ping you to leave a review for us at the end we'd prefer it's when after you've been drinking along and our sponsor today is Skunk Brother Spirits, coupon code DWA10 on their website. There we go. I think I remembered everything. And our amazing guest today is Meredith Stoddard. Woo! Woo-hoo! Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking before I forget everything I'm supposed to do on this podcast. Um, I am drinking... Oh, I like your cup. Thank you. You will get some of this swag. We have DWA oh, swag. It's all about that. <laughs> Actually, we're going to be at some conventions soon that will be listed. And if you come find us, I bet you can probably talk me into giving you some swag because I right. like giving away free shit. So that's that's a whole <laughs> thing. So we'll be posting soon about that. Um, but I am drinking. What the hell am I drinking? I am drinking because it's the afternoon. So I'm drinking a little gin and tonic with pomegranate and lime. Look how fancy I'm being. Just got back. Actually. I should have. Yeah, no, I know. CR now live up to that. Go for it. Well, I mean, this is so. This is pestilence with a little bit of a twist. I have some blackberries I have to get rid of that didn't go into my cakes this weekend. So I have vodka, green tea, and some a little bit of blackberries and the puree left over from a cake. It's really good. Very sweet. Yeah, it sounds good. Sounds amazing. Meredith, what are you drinking? Um, well, I'm in Virginia, so I have to represent Virginia wineries. And um, I am drinking a Chambersin, or Chambersin, see, I'm already messing things up, oh. uh, from Monroe <laughs> Bay Winery, which is uh, just outside of Colonial Beach, which is a little beach town on the Potomac Estuary. Um, and uh, it's a really nice little winery. I actually did a writing retreat there uh, a while back. Um, they have like an Airbnb that's like a tiny house and you just, I just sort of pulled myself up in there and drank wine and worked on uh, my next book. Very, very cool. So for those that may not know you, what do you write? Well, um, I write folklore inspired fiction. Um, so I am nerdy for things like uh, micro history and oral histories and folk songs and stuff like that. So I usually find inspiration in um, in those things. And I have a contemporary fantasy series that is based on um, kind of blending Celtic and Appalachian folklore with modern life. And uh, I also have a couple of historical fiction shorts that are based on some small bits of history around the North Carolina coast. So very, well, there you go. Yeah, very cool. That is awesome. So when did you um, kind of decide you wanted to be a writer? Like, when did that happen? Yeah, I've always wanted to be a writer. <laughs> like I, um, you know, I mean, my parents will tell you I made up stories when I was, before I even learned how to read. But um, even when I was in like 
you know, elementary school and middle school, I was writing stories. And uh, so I don't have any of those old stories, but, um, but I would share them around with my friends and, uh, and stuff like that and get their feedback. So I've always been writing. That's really awesome. So when did you first publish them? Um, my, oh gosh, that's a great question. <laughs> now that I think about it, the first novel in, uh, in my fantasy series came out in 2014. Um, the historical fiction short stories were a couple of years before that. Um, I think, uh, that might even go back to 2011. So, um, so I've been at it for a while. Yes. And you, that's, that's a little bit of time. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, are you self or traditional? How are you published? I am a do-it-yourself kind of gal. Um, I, you know, I really like the independence that um, that I get with self-publishing because I choose what genre I want to write in and how I want to do it. And sometimes I get to blend genres, which I often do, um, and nobody's telling me not to. <laughs> so, uh, and my readers haven't complained about it. So. Well, and I think that's one of the pluses now is more, I think it's more smaller publishers are doing it. And in, you know, the wholesale publishing world went, hi, we don't have to fit in your box. So thank you, but we're going to do it our way. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I feel like, um, you know, and I know you've talked to folks about this before as well. I feel like so much of the industry kind of, of the publishing industry kind of takes writers for granted. Like they know that there are a ton of us out here dreaming of writing bestsellers and stuff. So they just, you know, they, they don't treat writers particularly well in the publishing industry. And when I was looking at, um, you know, the short stories I published myself, but then when I started looking at places for this novel, I thought, I, you know, I was talking to agents, talking to publishers, talking to other authors and realizing that unless you are in that sort of top 2%, you're doing it all yourself anyway, right? You're gonna be responsible for your marketing. You're gonna be responsible for your social media. You're gonna be responsible for your image. And, um, you know, and they're not necessarily, I mean, while they might provide an editor, they're not necessarily going to do a ton of marketing work and a ton of support for you. And I thought, well, if I'm doing all that work, why am I giving away most of the profits? And so I was just like, you know what? I, I think I'll just keep doing this myself because the path to profitability is so much shorter for independent authors than it is for traditionally published authors that's true you if you know what you're doing there there's a yes. couple of caveats Absolutely. <laughs> with what you just said yes yeah. I, I only say that for authors listening i don't want them to oh i'm running into it and i've got you know superhero well, yeah, and absolutely it. true no you have to approach it understanding that it's a business you know and i had enough years in the corporate world and training salespeople and messaging and all of that stuff that i felt confident that um you know i could at least approach this in an intelligent way and treat it like a business so because cool. yeah, I was going to ask you, yeah, how you felt about, you know, especially being a person that looked into everything, how COVID, like, you know, overnight, everybody was an author and everybody was doing those things. And that's why I laughed at Erica said, because like, there were a lot of great books released, but then when you go and the typesetting and the, there's so many little things that I don't think people realize. So like, you know, you open a book and you're like, oh, this is going to be great. And all of a sudden it's like one page a word. 
or it's like the words are all messed up and do you yeah. feel like since COVID happened that it's been harder for you to get the recognition you deserve as an independently published person? Um, I don't know about that because I kind of established, you know, I had like an established reader base before, but I, I do feel like um, there are a lot of folks out there, you know, and this goes back to what Erica was saying, if you just kind of run into independent publishing because they because they're like oh amazon will just let whoever you know upload it and stuff like that but they don't necessarily think about that you have to you know have an editor and um and format and do all of those things i mean i did all that research and i was pretty comfortable doing that but i had also been in the corporate world producing training manuals for like a decade where i was doing all the formatting and, you know, outlining and editing and, um, and writing and all of those things anyway. So I had experience to build on. It's interesting. Yeah. I've actually recently been asked probably a dozen times, which is so weird in the last three months about Kindle Unlimited and people complaining about Kindle Unlimited. And I think a lot so of it would be because you can publish anything you want to on Kindle Unlimited and it's kind yeah. of a crapshoot. And I think a lot of people don't realize, I explained this to somebody the other day and they were like, what? I was like, if you publish on Kindle Unlimited, you can't publish that work anywhere else. It's the only on Kindle Unlimited. And they're like, well, I see stuff from some famous authors. I said, yeah. Because their they publishers have negotiated that. Yeah, yeah. negotiated, but it's that particular story is not published anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Like it's you won't find all of their work on kindle unlimited it's sort of a yeah. tease to get you to buy their other stuff which not a bad idea great idea go team you know um <laughs> short stories up there i think it's a great idea but if more and more the quality has become such an issue over the years since people started yes. doing it and then i think oh. we've got a resurgence of quality issues from everybody during COVID going, I'm going to stomach polish a book. And then, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's true. I also think with Kindle Unlimited, at least, I, I just kept seeing the um, per page payout go down and down. And you mean down. from the one cent it started off being or whatever? Yeah, down like it was great to begin with. 12 zeros and then one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when I put when I published the third book in my series, I took the whole series wide because I was just like, you know what, I've got three books in there now. I, I you know, and I would get people occasionally asking me about Kobo or Nook or whatever, and I'm like, you know, let's just let's just take it out there for everybody. No, I'll say though, I am a a huge advocate. I used to love Kindle Unlimited. Yeah. I do it all the time. I, that's where I get most of my, but that's what I do. I read one and then I buy their work. But that's one of the the weird things is, you know, coming from somebody who I, I have a publisher, like the steps you don't realize happen. And I think that's where everything has fallen through. And mm -hmm. I think that's what's giving, you know, people bad names because there is a, it's kind of gotten weird the way that people react when, you know, they're called indie authors now. Like before it was, like self-published and like they're trying to change it to get rid of the it's almost like a derogatory term it's like oh i'm i am an indie author and everybody's like oh or they ask you if you're self-published and like it's like you're a lesser author almost which doesn't make you that put in so much been around for so long <laughs> and it's one that i don't have time for like at this point in the industry 
and the way that things have been going in the last few years, I, I have no time for the kind of traditional publishing snobbery that you see that looks down on self-published authors. And obviously because I'm one, but also I feel like I have read so many very high quality independent books from self-published authors and I've read some garbage from publishers. And I feel like a lot of publishers are just chasing trends and um, you know, I just rather stay on my own path. No, I think it's bright. And I think for authors out there, finding ways to get your book published that are, you know, you, you want somebody to go, oh, this is such a great book and publish it and you famous as JK Rowling, but it, it doesn't work like that. And another thing that I think that um, came up and then we need to go back to talking all about you, but is that I think now um, if we actually measured sales by what actually sold and not by, you know, where, where people are saying best-selling, you know, New York Times, all that stuff, and you actually looked at sales, I really think there's a lot of self-published authors that would be in the top 20. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, but they just don't even, because of but the you're, way- Yeah, you're not allowed to qualify. Yeah, you're not even allowed to qualify. Yeah. Well, and now you have people, now you have Barnes & Noble, like what, last week or the week before, saying that they're only going to stock, like, the top 2% of um you know yeah, of physical insane. books and I, I how infuriating is that for midlist traditionally published authors because there's no hope you know of ever getting into barnes and noble and i know i've talked to a lot of people who have had luck locally going to their local barnes and noble and saying you know i'm a local author you know can you stock my books and stuff but i've tried that here and they're just not having it so, well, you know yeah. a lot, here's the trick to that, by the way, and a lot of people don't know this because we went down the superhighway as a publisher and I, I give this uh, advice out and it's something we're putting together for our authors too, just as a packet, two things. So Barnes and Noble needs two things available in order for them to actually order the books as a corporate policy. It has to be 53% um, right profit for them on the book. And a mm -hmm. lot of times it's, 40 or whatever people put them in at and it has to be returnable uh -huh. so on ingram sparks for instance and they can order off of ingram right mm -hmm. but your book has to have a 53 percent margin and wholesale margin and returnable. be returnable so yeah. one of the things you have to do is really look at where pricing needs to be because i think a lot of independents and self-published authors price but you should be pricing to what the industry is now because that's how you get your book in and it's an yeah. immediate reject and then if your books do get in there here's my advice go in and sign every fucking one of them because yeah. they cannot return they can't return it the problem that i have with that um is is twofold one that um ingram sparks author compensation is so low that I had to make a choice at some point, like the second time that they dropped it within a year or so, I had to make a choice and say, okay, do I either raise the price of my book or do I sell them at a loss through Ingram just so that they can be returnable? And I hadn't had a lot of luck getting um, bookstores to stock it through Ingram, but I had had luck getting them to do it on consignment. Um, a lot of independent bookstores will 
work with authors on consignment. So I just told Ingram, you know, I said, th no, thanks. I'll just take care of it myself and do it through consignment because um, I didn't, I wanted to be able to give that savings to my customers. I wanted my paperback to be priced similarly to the traditionally published paperbacks of comparable, you know, size. Um, and I wasn't, you know, willing to make my book $20 versus, you know, $16.95 or whatever. Yeah, no, and that's inherently the problem too for self-published authors is they don't have the volume and are not at the level in order yeah. to do it, which sucks. But that's why the Barnes and Noble, and that's why you have to take the other route you can take for them is the book talk route, which if your mm -hmm. book is in the top on the book talk, they'll put it on their book talk table. Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's yeah. hard if you're not white. So basically all you have to do is sell your soul, guys. Yeah. Or just no big deal. specific genres. Yes. And that's the other thing is the weird swing of things. Like, how do you guys all come up with the same fucking idea at the exact same time? Like the amount of what is it? What's really big in the because I always I stock books all the time. But so like the big thing in romance right now is stealing brides. So like basically, I would go out somewhere. Someone would literally jack me from beside my husband, which would be hilarious. But it would, and like the guy just gives up after a bit. It's yeah. like, oh, fuck it. She's been taken. She magically fell in love in three days. I'm like, this is not Disney people. I don't know what kind of lives you live, but like, that's the huge thing right now. And there's been 10 different releases of that exact same storyline. Yeah. And I'm like. Well, because that's where that sort of trend chasing goes with publishers as well, I think is. this you get them out so fast? <laughs> You know, well, yeah. You know, well, they decided a year ago that that's what the trend is going to be. Okay, see, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> no, and then you have you have the reverse harem. You have all these different tropes that come and go and come and go, and a lot of the smart self-published authors jump on those tropes and throw out a book in a couple months, and they're good to go, which is great. It's just I'll tell you what's funny is, in two years you'll see traditional publishers putting out this trope. So all these self-published and these indie published, you know, small publishers that can get the books out quicker are doing it now. Yeah. In two years. For, market, for markets that traditional publishers don't even know are there. Um, you know, no. that's the other thing is that I think, well, at least for my, for my series, I feel like there is, um, and I think I said this last time I was on, there's an underserved market of adult women who like fantasy. Um, and that's why YA fantasies are so popular because a lot of that audience is adult women who can't find that in women's fiction or romance, mm -hmm. you know, and stuff like that. So that's, you know, the lane that I'm sort of on is sort of the convergence of women's fiction, romance, and fantasy kind of all rolled into one. I think that's fantastic. We talked about that last time you were on, but, yeah. um, I think more and more um, uh, books are being written in an older view, meaning mm -hmm. not 16-year-old or 17-year-old or like 16 to 20, but are being written at 35, 40, you know, for both males and females to go, okay, well, we do want to read about somebody like us, you yeah. know, those, mm -hmm. let's, <laughs> let's be divorced and, you know, are stolen at the altar, but to our third husband and we killed the other two 
with her. Right. I'm just making up stories now. That's what I'm um, we just get, you got to keep building yeah. on it. It has to keep getting more and more excessive. Yes. Oh, that was some thunder. This is going to be a fun podcast. Ooh. Okay. So let's talk a little <laughs> bit about your folklore. So your first, your, your fantasy stories were based on what folklore to begin with? Um, well, it starts with Arthurian legends. That's sign kind of the jumping off point. Um, and I sort of asked the question of what would happen if, the future part of once and future were now um and we're picking up with um so if we're talking about the return of arthur to once and future king we're picking up with um the generation before in the 1990s which is when um the books start uh, and what would happen if you know a modern woman of my generation um had this kind of premonition vision message prophecy whatever that told her you know you are going to be the mother of the second coming of king arthur or whatever um and what that would do how that would blow up a modern woman's life and kind of what that would do and in the course of that i'm i you know in asking myself those questions i was like where is she from what does she do what's her background like and that's where we ended up developing i ended up developing this sort of fictional town of Kettle Holler, North Carolina, which is um, in the mountains. And- um, uh, Oh, I can see it from near here. Boone, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's like I'm right uh, there. <laughs> and, um, you know, and what, what starts her down this road? And in the case of the series, she is, um, she grew up in the mountains, but her grandmother was from Scotland. So she grew up speaking Gaelic in her home and, um, and her grandmother sort of steeped her in those traditions and taught her a song that has, um, that has stuck with her. And so she decides that she's, as part of her research for her doctoral dissertation, she's going to try to trace the origin of this song, um, which is called The River Maiden. That's the name of the first book. And um, in the course of sort of researching this song, she teams up with a folklorist from Scotland who's not too hard on the eyes um and uh and they you know delve into a lot of history a lot of folklore and she also digs kind of deep into her own family history and some of her childhood trauma um in dealing with her mother's mental illness and sort of growing up kind of an outcast in appalachia so very cool and if i recall correctly you love to do research you I are do. one of those people that likes to go down the absolute rabbit hole when it comes to research. Yes, um, and when I decided that they spoke Gaelic uh, in this book, I literally took Gaelic classes for years. Um, and I'm sorely out of practice, but I, you know, I'm the only author I know who went and learned a language because my characters spoke it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's a bit much right there. Yeah, that might be a bit much, but I've also Tolkien read- Tolkien invented like three languages um, for his. So that's true. You're, you're right up there. <laughs> yeah, I fortunately did not invent um, invent this, <laughs> thank goodness. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I did, however, of course, invent like the whole mythos of this family, but it's, I minored in folklore in college. So I had this kind of background of knowing what these motifs and conventions are. So the stuff that I invented follows kind of some of those similar motifs to the, the things that exist. So it blends 
um, it blends in kind of nicely. Um, and at least I hope it does. <laughs> it seems to. Very cool. And you have three books out in that particular series now? Four. 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 I'm working on the fifth. And how many books are in this series, or is it just going to keep going till you stop? Because Probably I feel not. like you've outlined quite a few of them. So how many yeah. do you have to go? Yeah. Um, most likely nine. Um, and I do have like beat sheets written out for the rest of them because I'm nerdy like that. Um, so it also makes foreshadowing a lot easier if you know, you know, where you're going. Um, but, uh, yeah, so probably nine in this series. Um, and I'm working right now on a kind of women's fiction-y rom-com, uh, book that, uh, is probably going to be the start of another series. Is that going to have folklore and stuff in it too? Yes. But it's a, okay. it's it'll be an entirely different kind of folklore. It, this one's going to be set in North Carolina and um, follow kind of stuff that's a little little closer to my own family, um, which is from the Piedmont in North Carolina, and they were all mill workers and stuff like that. So it's set in a a former mill town after the mill closed down, kind of thing. That's very very cool. That's exciting. Okay, we have to take a quick break, and okay. we'll be right back with drinking with authors. Great. Do you like podcasts? Then you're gonna hate Thunder Talk. Tasteless subject matter. Mature humor. Contempt for our co-hosts. Unapologetic social views. Edgy music. And total irreverence for the nerd junk we love. Are all reasons why no one. No one. No one should listen to Thunder Talk. Find us on the ESO Network. And all podcasting platforms. Or don't. Whatever. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brothers Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. Yeah. Oh, we're back. What? What about dogs? What? I hope y'all don't hear my dog barking. He's outside and he's, he no. tends to bark a lot. I think um, microphones have gotten so much better about what they pick up these days. Because yeah. I remember having so microphones bad. where like you could hear if somebody farted three rooms over, like you could hear the <laughs> fart. And now yeah. people are like, hey, I'm an elephant running through my living room. And I'm like, yeah, I can't hear that. Like it's... <laughs> 
Yeah, my dog is banging his head off the door because I'm in our one of our oh, guest no. rooms and he can't get in. So he just keeps yeah. hitting the door. Like it's somehow gonna open. Yeah. I'm in a shed in the backyard. So she has a she ah, shed. I do. Yeah. What? See, and, and my husband says I that would make me too spoiled. And yet if you saw my closet, you would say otherwise. <laughs> yeah, no, I love I love um this. But and Fortunately, luckily we built it like right before COVID hit. So I, when my kids were on remote school and my husband was working from home and all of that stuff, I had this space to come out to and yeah. just separate myself. <laughs> it's the only way that I finished the fourth book in the series because um, yeah, I just couldn't do it while everybody was in there. How long does it take you to write a book? Too long. <laughs> my readers will all tell you too long because I love cliffhangers um but uh but yeah it's I would love to be able to write a book in a year um I set a goal for myself in 2019 to write two in one year and I drafted one and I wrote like mm, two-thirds of one and I was all you know gung-ho to finish writing it in the beginning of 2020 and then the plague hit and that slowed down quite a lot. Um, and I'm just now kind of trying to get back to that kind of pace. Um, but, uh, and I'm, I'm close to finishing the draft, the first draft for the book five, um, for the series. So, but it takes, it takes a while. I mean, I'm a mom and you know, we have lives <laughs> and stuff. So it takes a minute. No, I, I think anybody who's not a full-time writer, that's exactly what it does. Like you have yeah. to finish. <laughs> that was a tree falling. Oh my gosh. As long as you don't hit your house. Not, not, no, nowhere near my house, but yeah, that was a tree falling. Okay. That's an interesting thing about living well. in North Carolina and probably in other areas like that's one thing my neighbor said he's like yeah no trees will just fall and i'm like oh, okay and yeah it's true <laughs> apparently it's true. Yeah. we used to have it in the backyard all the time when like when i lived in north carolina i was like oh god there's somebody's coming there's a bear because i'm from new hampshire so when we first went to north carolina and that's exactly it you don't know what the hell it is i was like there's a bear my mom's like there's not a fucking bear chelsea calm the hell down it just <laughs> branch fell scary. off yeah. Yeah, this was more than a branch. I think when when I go exploring out here in a little bit, that's going to be a full, full yeah. massive tree. I do have bears though too, so that's exciting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, what is your little she shed like? How did you create your environment there? Um. Well, we had uh, somebody. So I'm, um, like I said, I'm in the backyard, and um, we had an existing shed here that we tore down because it was very old and moldy and just the um and i uh i talked to my husband and i was talking about spending money on like an office share kind of thing um and he was like why should we go rent an office for you we could just build one in the backyard and so that's what we did and we had a company come out and just build the shed right here in the yard and then we came in and finished it so we did like shiplap on the walls and I have a blackboard behind me because that's I, I like to plot while I'm standing <laughs> and, um, and then uh, bookshelves with research books and stuff like that so it's that's very awesome. comfortable it's like 10 by 12 and uh, I've got an air conditioner that you can probably hear 
Um, and uh, no, that's how good the microphone folks are now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, and a heater for the winter time and stuff. So it's great. And then I, um, our backyard was kind of just a big mud pit because um, we are surrounded by trees and um, couldn't really grow a lot of grass. So I sort of graveled over a lot of it and put in raised beds and stuff. So I have a nice garden between the house and the shed. Oh, that's absolutely beautiful. That's fun and exciting. Yeah, and, I, and there's a little patio out in front where I have a table and chairs so I can, if I want to, I can just take my laptop outside and work out there. Look how fancy, don't you feel like so you a fancy that we're not? Right, so basically what uh, you're telling me is I need to go tell my husband really quick, I'm gonna do an office share, is that what that is? I'm just taking yeah. some notes. I'm just trying to figure out how to get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was going to be like $110 a month to just do an office share where you just like go and sit in a room with other people who have laptops and work. Um, and, uh, yeah. Good and for you. So, yeah, because I kind of missed that separation of going to an office. It's just a mental kind of shift from I'm not mom anymore. Now I'm the author and um it's you know not home it's business and so that mental sh change really helps um in at least getting you in the mindset to sit down and write or edit or you know do whatever so awesome. um yeah it's it was really helpful that's very very cool i think that's awesome so um you also you do ghostwriting too don't yep. you no, no, I no. do coaching. Coaching. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. I was going to find it. It's, it's me and my team. <laughs> it's totally fine. Cool. Um, no, I had like a whole career before this where I was a corporate trainer and instructional designer. And um, I got very nerdy doing that about process improvement. Like my whole job was how can we work better and then teaching people to work better and um, work smarter. And so um, I want, I, you know, want to help writers do that because it's hard, you know, especially if you have day jobs or families or kids or whatever. Um, and so I, you know, we all have to, and it, what works for me is not necessarily what works for other folks, but it's getting in that habit of looking at what your life is like and what you can do and trying to maximize what you're what you're doing in the time that you have and um and just work smarter um and uh think about your book as a process as a product that you're producing because we all love we all are creative and it, we want it to be art but at the same time we're producing a product that you know folks are going to consume so we have to kind of think about it at least after that first draft is done, you have to kind of think about it in a business way. I think that's awesome in helping people because again, as much as you have the brilliant idea, I mean, it's also true with people who do paintings. Like I have several artists friends and then I'm like, okay, are you going to get them in a gallery? Or are you going to the restaurants that put them on the wall? And they're like, oh, I haven't thought about that. And I'm like, okay, listen, nobody's going to show up in your garage <laughs> and discover you. Just for the record, that's not how that works. You if know, they do, you should be worried. Like, yeah, how the hell did they know where you live? <laughs> like, how did you get in my garage? <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but yeah, I talk to a lot of 
aspiring authors who are just like, I want to write a book or I have this idea, but I don't know what to do. And mm -hmm. I can't get this idea that I have sort of out of my head and onto paper. And I want to help people do that um, and do it in a way that if they want to be a professional is reproducible um, so that, you know, they can do it for the next book and the next book and the next book. Very, I think that's very, very cool. That's awesome, actually. So let's talk about um, when you began it all and decided to, I'm going to write a book. How many um, manuscripts did you go through before the first one existed? Um, that's a good question. I probably rotated through three or four different ideas before I settled on this one. Um, but I don't know that they ever got past like the loose outline stage. Okay. Because um, I am a planner for sure. Um, but uh, but um, this one kind of just came to me one day and I wrote the first scene and I do that for whenever I have a new idea, I'll write a test scene to just say, okay, do I have the voice? Is this worth pursuing? Is this, um, you know, something that I think could be a whole book or is it a short story or a novella or whatever. And um, so I wrote that test scene and um, I started doing that. And before I knew it, I had 50 pages. And oh, wow. I was like, okay, well, this is gonna, we're gonna stick with this then and, you know, see where it goes. And um, then I set aside those 50 pages for like 12 years. They're <laughs> um, on a roll. Let's take a massive break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very long break. Um, in which time, of course, I like moved and had two children and, you know, did all kinds of other things and had a career and, um, and stuff like that. And then um, when I was finally ready to get back to it, I got laid off from my corporate job um, and uh, was like, what am I going to do? You know, and I was at home with a two-year-old and nobody to talk to. So I started talking to my imaginary friends again and, uh, and decided to turn that into a book and figure out like, I didn't know it was going to be nine books at the time, but I at least knew it was going to be more than one. So I kind of plotted out like three or four, I think. And, um, it snowballed from there. What but, is, um, so you, you of course published pre-pandemic. I love yeah. that we get to have that conversation. Like you were published before when like, <laughs> what your first events, like when you first got to meet people with your book in hand, what was that? Um, fortunately I had a pretty good reader base. I got very lucky when I launched the first book. Um, I had been part of um, a number of kind of reader groups um, and fan groups for other authors. Like um, it was in some Outlander fan groups, Discovery of Witches fan groups, um, um, and uh, some other friends who are fans of Susanna Kearsley. Um, and there are some similarities, uh, I think, with all of those and the books that I write. So um, it was a lot of, you know, hey, we like the same kind of books. Maybe you'll like mine. And, um, and so a lot of people did. And I think the first signing that I had was um, at a local coffee shop here in, uh, in Fredericksburg where I live. And 
um, <laughs> the owner was like, you have to tell me what your marketing strategy is because I had like 20 or 30 people show up. And, um, and that was just fantastic because we all kind of knew each other from those other groups. Um, and they've just been really supportive. And even still, a lot of those readers have been patient enough to wait for the next book when it takes me, you know, a year or two to write it. And then um, they are, a lot of them are, the ones at least that are local will come out when I have signings to um, various places or if I do book festivals, they'll show up there and stuff like that. So it's really, really wonderful to have a kind of core group of supportive fans. So what was that like signing your book the first time? Amazing. I mean, just absolutely amazing. Like, um, you know, it was, I mean, it's one of those things. It's, it's just a magical feeling because I lived with these characters for so long, right? Even the, even the 12 years that these, you know, 50 pages sat on my hard drive, I still like had those characters in my mind. You know, Dermot and Sarah are with me all the time. And so for other people to embrace them um, and, you know, and buy into their love story is just amazing. Very cool. So what, um, tell us a weird fan interaction. Um, I think last time I told you guys about the, the one uh, where the woman got me at the Outlander premiere and told me about her dream that um, that my characters are going to France, um, which again, in the beginning of book five, they are, some of them are, <laughs> but, um, gosh, I don't know. I, I've had, you know, a number of people just in weird places or online just be like, oh yeah, I love your book. Or I, you know, or the first time that somebody who I didn't know from one of those other, you know, groups, somebody who I just never met before came up to me and said like, oh, I came to this signing just for you, you know, or something like that. I mean, that's, you know, that's just magical. Yeah. No, I, I think so too. And so you put out book one, let's talk about book two for a minute. Cause there was a little, there was a little gap, right? If I recall correctly. It's a couple of years. I wrote like, I wrote, um, book two kind of weaves, it's kind of got a dual timeline going on. So it's weaving together Sarah's story with her mother's uh, backstory. And um, so I sat down, the only time I've ever pantsed any part of my books um, was uh, Molly's, that's Sarah's mother, her story that comes out in Cauldron. Um, and I did it as my NaNoWriMo project. And I kind of, as soon as I got her voice, and there was a one particular folk song um, that uh, that kind of was unlocked it all. And um, so I got, I sort of, that song kind of gave me her voice. And as soon as I started telling that, it just snowballed. And what I thought was gonna be like a few scenes ended up being like half the book. And I decided after writing all of that, I was like, I'm not going to fit everything I want in this book, in this book. Like there's no way I can tell all of Molly's story and fit the rest of this stuff. So I decided to split it up into two books. And so I had the first one where I'm telling kind of, I have Molly's story and it's woven in with Sarah kind of making a, a 
big important decision about her life. And then um, the next book follows with the result of Sarah's decision. But um, but yeah, that one was unplanned and it took longer than I would have liked. <laughs> it's, um, but Cauldron is a great one. The editor that um, I worked with on the early books in the series, he when he said, I think you've made, I think you've written a better book than the first one. I was like, okay, now I feel good about making that choice. <laughs> and that's, I think what we all need to strive for is like our every book after the last book is better than the book, you know. Yes. Yeah, because... we always want to think that. And I, I hope, I feel like I'm doing that. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think book four ends in a way that not uh, some of my readers weren't happy about, but <laughs> it's, um, you know, but because I know that there are two more books, at least in that part of the story, I know that there's time to get folks the resolution that will satisfy. How much does, um, uh, how much does reader, um, feedback to you play into any things you change or don't change on the story? Um, I, yeah, I won't say it doesn't um, play any role. I mean, I'd love to just say, you know, these characters tell me their story and I just write it down, but that's not entirely how it works. Um, okay. And I do sometimes um, get feedback from readers and um, kind of steer the story a certain way. So, um, I like to surprise people. And so if I hear readers theorizing one thing, I might just shift in the opposite in another direction or, um, or if readers tell me, um, you know, I would like to hear this character's perspective and things like that, I might think about it. Um, so do you do any little novellas? Cause that's one thing I know a lot of authors do. CR on them and stuff. Little novellas off yeah. of the series to give some of these little characters that people are like, I'm so in love with Bob. And you're like, Yeah, I do actually. Um, I usually use them as newsletter exclusives. Um, but uh, but once I have enough, um, I'm gonna kind of put them together in like an anthology for uh, and paperback and ebooks so that folks can read them. Um, but I have a few short stories that are already up, but the rest are um, newsletter exclusives. And I do, I'll, I'll take like a, um, a secondary character and be like, where's part of this story that's not essential to the main series. So if you don't read them, it's not the end of the world. But if, if you do, it's just gonna make everything richer. And, um, and yeah, I do that. And one of them, I have two characters uh, the most recent short story that I did uh, after book four released, I have two characters who are two of my favorites. Like they are, one of them is um, is from a previous generation and he's just a sweet, sweet, sweet man. And then another is um, a character that doesn't show up in my book series until the third book, but he's one of those characters that every time he shows up, I just smile. Like I can't help myself. I just love this guy so much. And um, so I, after book four came out, I released a short story where those two met and, um, and stuff. And it was, it was a really kind of, they're both grieving at the time. So it was really kind of sad and heartwarming and stuff, but they're wonderful characters. And, and I do, I mean, sometimes I just, love some of these secondary characters so much and the new series 
um, that uh, the one that's sort of women's fictiony rom-com, that is sort of a spinoff from the fantasy series because it takes a secondary character from that we meet in the first book who needs some redemption and it's kind of her redemption story, so. That's really awesome. Um, what about conventions and stuff like that? Have you done like nerd conventions? Um, I have not. I've done like uh, group signings um, with like romance authors and stuff. And that's, eh, you know, I, I mean, and that fits a little bit, but um, not quite. I have not done any and I would love to. Um, I've thought about RavenCon, which is one that we have here in Virginia. Um, and uh, I would love to do DragonCon, but I just haven't gotten there yet. Um, I've also looked into doing like Celtic festivals because um, there's such a strong Scottish component in um, in this series. I think that would be a great fit. And unfortunately, the one that the big one that we have here um, in Virginia in uh, Richmond is not happening this year. So, and my local independent author festival is also not happening this year. So I'm kind of bummed because I love doing live events. Why aren't they happening? Conventions are making a huge comeback this year. It's yeah. like the year for conventions. They seem to be, both of them actually seem to be venue issues. Um, mm -hmm. The one in the Celtic Festival in Richmond is, um, used to be at the Richmond International Raceway. And I think they were having problems with the raceway. Uh, and then the one here in town is um, a park that is still under construction. And so because they're still, uh, it was supposed to be in this park and um, because they're still building the park, I think that they decided not to do it. The last time we did it, um, they actually blocked off the street in front of the park. Um, but I think maybe the city doesn't want to do that again, so. It's about <laughs> venues are an interesting thing but i think it would be interesting to see what it would be like for you at a nerd con i yeah i would love it um like i said i love doing live events i you know in my previous career i did a lot of trade shows <laughs> and so i'm used to that kind of long day on your feet talking to folks and um stuff like that but i you know i love meeting fans and readers in person and so it's a lot of fun very cool. And then something we didn't touch on was in this podcast, we did on the other one, but you are part of the Author Talk Network. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Author Talk Network is uh, a group of authors. There are about 19 of us. And, um, and it was organized uh, originally by Grace Salmon, who um, is just kind of a dynamo. She just, you know, Grace gets an idea and she's going to run with it. And um, and we all just kind of network around about who's been on podcasts and what podcasts are good and um, stuff like that. And we also do panels and uh, things like that at different uh, virtual conferences. And um, it's a lot of fun. I love, you know, I mean, I love talking about craft. I love talking about publishing. I love, you know, all of this stuff. And it's writing can be a lonely business. So if you can team up with folks and um, share ideas, then, you know, it's a great, great way to go. And I think that's what we have to do is share ideas, create the community, find your tribe. Author Talk Network does a ton of education across the board. Mm -hmm. Aren't you guys, you, you have a new book being published or is published? Yes, we did. We worked with Red Penguin Press to publish a, um, it's just sort of a quick guide for folks who are getting started on, um, on their author journey. And it's like tips for authors um, as they're 
you know, as they're writing their books. So it's from, and it's tips from a lot of successful authors. Yeah, that is really cool. Okay. As we're about to wrap up, what is one piece of advice? I've been asked this for a long time on the show, but you're a <laughs> mentor and stuff. So I get to ask yeah. this. What is one piece of advice you would give somebody who's like, I'm going to write a book? Like, wh what is the key piece you want them to begin with? Um, my, I mean, the key thing for me is uh, to make a plan. Um, and I know I said I'm a plotter and I am a detailed plotter, but that's not what I mean when I say make a plan because I, you know, I know that everybody works differently, but you need to at least before you get too deep into that writing process you need to sit down and make a plan and say you know what genres is this touching how am i going to market it is there a market for it um and is is it a good idea um you know and and i say that because there are plenty of authors out there who have ideas that are in the end kind of end up being super problematic like if i as a you know white lady of european descent decided I was going to write a book about Native Americans, it would probably not be a great idea. Um, but, um, you know, there are plenty of other stories to tell. And so I think we have to kind of, before we get too deep into any idea, kind of need to analyze that stuff and at least make a high level view of, if I'm going to publish this, this is how I'm going to do it. This is where I think the market is and, um, you know, where the audience is for this book. Very, very cool. Okay, shameless self-promotion time. How do people find you? Uh -huh. um, I am at meredithstoddard.com. Um, Meredith, M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H, just like the college, um, stoddard.com. And uh, I am also on uh, Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and um, Facebook, of course. Uh, and I'm Mr. Stoddard on uh, most of those places. And of course, you can also find me on Bookish Road Trip. Um, I am the sort of communications director for uh, Bookish Road Trip, which is an online community of authors and readers and travelers, and we love talking about books and travel, stuff like that. I host a um, monthly interview program there called Author Ride Along. So. Very cool. Very, very cool. You're not busy at all. Very no. awesome. <laughs> it sounded like a, a lot of free time. A lot of free time available to write many books this year. Yes. <laughs> That was your fans speaking through me. They were channeling. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> every time, every time I I put out like a teaser for any of the books that are out, people are like, "When's the next book coming?" Yeah. It's coming. <laughs> no, that we we can never feed the readers enough. There's no amount of writing we can do to feed the readers. That's why you mm. have to create a community and have people who write books similar to you, so everybody can yes. have like a communal potluck of yes i have i have like a further reading list on my i have three on my website one is fiction that is similar one is about um history and folklore and one is about like scotland and scottish history that's very very cool awesome well thank you so much for being on the podcast with us lovely talking to you both Awesome. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. Our sponsor today is Skunk Brothers Spirits. DWA10 is the coupon code. Don't forget to like and subscribe, like right now, as you're listening to us, hit the button, because apparently we don't do that sort of thing later, ever. And you can, I don't, 
I, I'm not sure either. It's somewhere in a general direction on this, this screen or on your podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a review now that you've been drinking along with us because drunk reviews are probably the best thing in the entire world. So we heavily encourage that. Um, my co-host has been C.R. Rice and our amazing guest has been Meredith Stoddard. And we will see you guys next time. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tea Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.